Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks. Now, when I started up the podcast, I knew I wanted to do more outdoor broadcasts. And I also wanted to try and find animals that were vocal, because if it's a podcast, then noise and sound are obviously the most important things. There's no point showing you visually stunning animals that you can't hear, because it's pointless. You want animals that you can hear. Now, the obvious choice is birds. Let's face it, birds are overrated. Everyone's fannying around with birds. And my love, as some of you may well know, is herpetology. Although everyone lumps me in with fish, and don't get me wrong, I like fish, it's herptiles that I'm absolutely enamoured by. So straight away I thought, what species can we do? Frogs came to the top of the list, and one of them has got a gut bucket sound to it. It is incredibly loud, and it's a species that I've been photographing and listening to for many years and that's the marsh frog. Kent is one of the strongholds for these marsh frogs. It was the first place they were recorded in the UK. They are absolutely enormous. Their sound is phenomenal, as you will shortly find out. Here's the pod. Well, hello. Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm currently watching two cuckoos fly over. Wow. (laughs) haven't even started and I'm looking at birds. We are in Dungeness today not too far from Romney Marsh in Kent. It's May, it's glorious sunshine. The forecast for today was meant to be gray, miserable, not too much wind, but it's absolutely glorious. It's incredibly sunny today and the birds are out, but it's not birds I'm after. I'm after Europe's largest amphibian, and that is the marsh frog, an incredible creature that shouldn't even be here and yet for nearly the last hundred years or so, it's made the southeast, <laughs> you might be just able to hear them, uh, it's made the southeast of England its home. So, let's go frogging. Let's see if we can find this frog, and I'm gonna clue you in about how it got here and some information about it. I thought it was a marsh harrier. I've just seen a buzzard sat in a tree, but there are a fair few birds of prey. Dungeness was actually the first RSPB bird reserve but I don't know a great deal more about it. I know it's very shingly, as you can probably hear my feet crunching. And I can hear the frogs. I don't know if you can. I can certainly hear them. I'm going to go sit next to the water and see if we can't get a better better listen. (laughs) That is a marsh frog. Wow, I love that noise. It just makes you think that you're in, like, the African jungle or something, not Kent. I can hear you, bugger. Where are you, though? I can't see you. To say it's quite a big frog, 17 centimetres from nose to arse, that's a big arse frog. They can be pretty secretive. 
So I said it's Europe's largest frog, but it's not native to the UK. So they came here in 1935 and they were introduced by Edward Percy Smith, who's a conservative MP, great name. And he brought 12 marsh frogs back from Hungary to his garden pond in Stone in Oxney, just off Romney Marsh. But they quickly escaped. These things, I mean, they will live on ponds, but they like big wetland areas. That's where they like to live. They spread out into this network of ditches, dikes, and all those sort of areas along the marsh and very quickly got established into Kent. Now, by 1937, only two years later, they were pretty widespread and they were so numerous that there were complaints to the Ministry of Health about the noise. Now, they did a bit of digging because I thought, well, how loud are these frogs that they would warrant a complaint for noise? So currently in the UK, if you hear a noise over 34 decibels, you are within your right to complain. You can ring the police, you can have a good moan at your neighbours. How loud do you think these marsh frogs get? Well, when they get going, in a group, they can get to 90 decibels, nearly three times over the amount to be uh, complained for. So these things can get pretty bloody loud, <laughs> as you can hear behind me. They are amazing, amazing frogs. Now, if you don't know what they look like, they are obviously pretty chunky, pretty heavily built. They can range from bright green to brown, pretty blotchy. So you're unlikely to mistake them for our native frog, the common frog. Now, common frogs are smaller and they also have uh, an eye patch just behind the eye. Males have a sort of sack as well when they're calling. Now, male marsh frogs have two vocal sacs, which obviously common frogs lack as well. So they're fairly easy to tell apart with common frogs. And there is a concern with them being non-native, do they affect native frogs? Well, generally speaking, common frogs live in a different habitat preference. So they prefer small, shallow, weedy ponds. Marsh frogs on the whole prefer big, open wetlands or long expansive dikes. So there is some crossover, but not a huge amount. And as of yet, there's no evidence to suggest that marsh frogs are particularly affecting common frogs. Now they would very well eat a common frog, but common frogs only spend time near the water in early spring and the marsh frogs aren't out yet. And the rest of the year they go off into the undergrowth. So on the whole, we don't think that there's any major conflict between common frogs and marsh frogs. Now our other native frog, the pool frog, there is a little bit of a problem and this is because they can hybridize. So currently as it stands, there's only one official uh, pool frog location in the UK, which is in Norfolk. As far as I'm aware, there are no marsh frogs near that location. There are efforts to reintroduce pool frogs. And obviously if there are marsh frogs in the area, then that's not an ideal site to introduce the pool frog. So there's a little bit of a problem there, but on the whole, the marsh frogs aren't causing a huge issue to native frogs. There's always the worry about them carrying things like chytrid, uh, which is a fungus, but because marsh frogs bask in the sun and UV kills chytrid, they're generally pretty resistant to it. I love that laugh. It's quite guttural. 
it like really comes deep down they kind of cackle and when you compare it to a pool frog which uh, i might actually play a little bit of a pool frog so here's a pool frog calling and then now you can hear the marsh frogs behind me. So it is a different sound. I think the pool frog sounds more like a wet fart and the marsh frog does sound like more of a traditional cackle or laugh. <laughs> They're all going for it now. What an amazing sound. They're big jumpers, so if you go near the edge of a water where there are marsh frogs, they'll hop in pretty sharpish, so they don't hang around. So I'm struggling to pick them out. I'm gonna carry on walking in a second and see if we can spot any. I mean, there's loads there. Wow, you can really hear them. It's only the males that call. The females don't call. They, they can call, but it's generally the males that make most of the racket. And although Kent is definitely a stronghold for them, they're now found as far north as Yorkshire at Top Hill, uh, I think it's called Top Hill Low, which is a Yorkshire water um, area. So they're, they're also in Bristol, Essex, London, Cornwall, and even Leicester near me. There's a population, so they pop up all over the place. They're pretty readily available as pets, so most of them, well, if not all of them, are going to be deliberate releases, either unwanted pets. Sometimes anglers mistakenly release them, thinking that they'll be good food for, for fish, but marsh frogs will eat fish, so they're definitely not good if you think that you're going to feed the fish. These are big frogs. They'll take small mice, small amphibians, fish, insects. They're not particularly fussy. If it fits in their gob, they're eating it. <laughs> that sound is brilliant. Right, we've got to try and see if we can actually see one today. Right, let's go. So are there any benefits to marsh frogs? Whenever we mention non-natives, we generally jump to the conclusion that they're a bad thing. Well, like any non-native, I always think they'd be better if they weren't here. But let's have a think about it. What benefits have marsh frogs brought to Dungeness and Romney Marsh? Well, there's huge populations of frog and amphibian-eating birds. Bitterns breed really well here. Purple heron have bred here in the past. Great white egret, cattle egret, little egret. The list goes on. And I dare say that if we didn't have marsh frogs in the area, we wouldn't have any of these fantastic herons coming in to feed on them, which must provide a significant part of their diet. The blood of these marsh frogs also feeds medical leeches, which are a nationally scarce and protected species. The marsh frogs make up a pretty good proportion of their diet, not to mention the tadpoles, which all kinds of creatures eat, including great crested newts. So if nothing else, marsh frogs are providing protein for a huge array of creatures many of them that wouldn't be here unless the frogs were here. Now as per usual when I'm recording some twat on a motorbike is going by with a small penis presumably trying to show off but oh the frog just jumped just jumped I've got him in my bins now that one's quite brown but there's another one just I really wish that dickhead would fuck off that utter twat revving their engines oh Another one coming along. Go on, mate. I'm not particularly near the road, but you can just echoes over the water, doesn't it? What a bellend. <laughs> so I'm meant to be celebrating frog noise here, not uh, 
having a go at, I'm assuming, motorcyclists. Oh, I can see. Oh, there's loads of frogs. There's loads. Um, they're all sat basking in the sun. One, two, three, four, five of them. All just sat. There's a little spot there that's just out of the wind, and they're all soaking up the sun. So, comparatively, marsh frogs are pretty easy to find because they just sit out in the open. Uh, common frogs, for example, they hide away. They will not be out in the open. But these guys are pretty showy. They're ballsy frogs. One of them's massive. It's a real big fat bugger. Now, we're in May, so they're going to be breeding soon. And a female marsh frog can have up to 3,000 eggs. So you can produce a lot of young. Oh! Cuckoo. That's a marsh frog, but just heard a cuckoo. Oh, I hope you heard that. I was secretly hoping for a cuckoo. I didn't want to mention it, but um, oh, the frogs are really going. I don't know if that cuckoo set them off. If you play the call of a marsh frog, I know we've in birding it's very frowned upon. You shouldn't play calls. Um, I don't know what it is in the frog community, but. If you play the call of a marsh frog, they'll often reply back to you. And I know anecdotally people who have kept marsh frogs have said, if you like, just use your lawnmower or something low frequency. But they're really going for it now. I really want to see a male sack. That's an odd sentence to say, isn't it? Um, but I want to see one inflating his sack. That's a very strange sentence, isn't it? It doesn't get any better the more I say it. And I would really like to see one. I've never photographed one doing it, actually. Um, another way to tell the difference between marsh and pool frogs is pool. Make sure I enunciate it properly because everyone thinks I'm saying bullfrogs, but I'm saying pool frogs, as in swimming pool. Um, their sack is white, it's very, very white. Whereas in marsh frogs, their sack is grey. They have a grey sack. Oh, Jesus, that was a big frog. That one just jumped in. Oh, I, oh, wow, I can just see it in the water. They look proper like Kermit. Because... Obviously, if you look in like popular culture, frogs are always green, aren't they? Kermit the Frog and Baby Yoda and whatever. Everything's green. But in the UK, I mean, you do occasionally get green pool frogs, but, you know, our frogs are pretty brown. So when you do see a frog that is bright bloody green, it's a bit of a shock, really. Is there any other frogs sitting down here? Not that I can... S oh, you're you're a frog, aren't you? Oh, God, there's loads there. God, they blend in bloody well. That's... Using my binoculars. One, two, three, four of them there. That's another four, so that's... Oh, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's... So that's about 20 frogs. So you can see how valuable a food source they must be if they're in that higher density. 
Um, well, I can't see any large males. They're all small, all around the edge, they're all small ones. I'm going to get close, see if we can hear them plop. We're going to have some live plopping. Oh, there's loads. Right, get ready for some plops. <laughs> Hopefully you heard that. Yeah, as soon as you get anywhere near them, they're in. Now, if I was a kid, I would have loved to have tried caught one of these, but they're just so quick, you've got no chance. You've got to be bloody on it to, to get one of these guys. Fabulous. Right, I'm going to keep walking round. There's a viewpoint here, so I might even see if we can spot some feathery things. So I've popped to the other side of Dungeness, the, uh, the main part of the reserve. And I'm just in my car, and I feel like I'm on safari because I'm sat in my car. I've got my binoculars out, and I'm just surveying the reed bed and some of these ponds just to see what birds we can see. And, of course, the frogs, because that's why I'm mainly here. And you might be able to hear some birds in the background. And I'm sure the ornithologists among you will know. I know that's a coot. <laughs> but um, there's some little things chirping away. I'm going to say reed warbler. But that's just because I'm staring at reeds. I can hear marsh frog right in the distance. But I thought it was worth mentioning another species that I briefly talked about earlier. And that's the pool frog. The reason I'm enunciating that is because my East Midlands accent, a lot of people think I'm saying bullfrog, but I'm not. I'm saying pool frog. So just to clarify, I'm talking about pool frogs. Even though we did used to have American bullfrogs in the UK, but not anymore. They're highly invasive. Highly, highly invasive. I am parked on a track, so we might hear the old car going by. Uh, but I don't think there are any American bullfrogs left in the UK. Now, the pool frog, so that is a native species. And historically, would have had a pretty... Oh, there's a butterfly. What's that? Getting distracted. That is... Oh, uh, peacock. Peacock butterfly, lovely. First of the year. The, the pool frog was always thought to have been non-native in the UK for a long time, for a very long time. And there was a population in Norfolk and it slowly dwindled. And it wasn't until there was literally one left, Lucky this pool frog was called, that we realised that this was a, a relic from our, our history, our natural history. So we took Lucky into captivity. I say we, I mean scientists did. And captive bred Lucky with the nearest genetic map which was frogs from Sweden, I believe, but don't quote me on that. And then slowly, amphibian and reptile group been doing some fantastic work and they reintroduced them back to Norfolk at Thompson Common. And they're trying to spread them out because they would have had a much wider range than that. So with a bit of luck, I mean, there are unofficial populations of pool frogs and it gets a little bit kind of mucky and muddy because people get quite... Um, What's the best word to describe it? Pedantic, shall we say, over where these pool frogs come from. So you've got southern clade pool frogs and northern clade pool frogs. And the northern ones, unsurprisingly, are from the north. And the southern ones are generally from the south. 
Now, they're both the same species, they're not separate species, but the southern ones tend to be bright green and, you know, deal better with warmer weather, and the northern ones tend to be more brown and they deal better with, with colder weather, and that's what we would have had in the UK. To confuse things further, pool frogs will hybridise with marsh frogs. And when they do that, you get something called an edible frog. Now this is what the French eat. When you have frog's legs, predominantly, it's an edible frog. That's why it's got the name edible frog. So you've got marsh frogs, edible frogs, northern clade pool frogs, southern clade pool frogs, and you've also got another one on the Somerset levels called the Perez frog, which is from uh, the Iberian Peninsula. So you've got at least five different kinds of what we call green water frogs. They can all hybridise with each other. So generally speaking in the UK, although we just see something calling and we call it a marsh frog quite often, a lot of these frogs are basically mongrel frogs, mutt frogs, because oh, something is walking along the edge. There's geese flying over some grey-legged geese and little egret. Ah, I thought it might have been a cat egret. That would have been nice. Um, yeah, you get these mongrel frogs, essentially. So it's, and they can be very difficult to tell apart because they crossbreed and sometimes the offspring are fertile, sometimes they're not. So you, you might get something with a little hint of marsh frog in it when it's not a true, uh, true pool frog. So it can be tricky IDing them. As I mentioned, generally speaking, marsh frogs, particularly the ones here in Kent, they're the biggest, 17 centimetres. And on Romney Marsh, as far as I'm aware, there aren't any pool frogs. So the marsh frogs are, are pure, if you like, here. If you go to North Kent, or marshes, Sheppey, they're more of a mixture. There is uh, marsh frogs there, there are also pool frogs and edible frogs. And the same with London Wetland Centre. They've got a bit of a mixture as well. So it is an interesting mix of species, and I'm not sure if it's been properly mapped. I'm sure... Oh, that sounded interesting. What was that? Seti's warbler, maybe? I'm really stretching my ornithological knowledge here, so um, if you listen to this and thinking, I'm going to say setis, I don't know 100%, but people might think Jack's talking absolute bollocks. If generally, if you sound, you know, sound out facts of enough conviction, people will believe you. Oh, what's that? That's... Oh. Crow, not a raven. Did hear a raven yesterday. Well, not seeing much here. So, oh, shell duck, two shell duck. Now, that is a handsome duck. Now, don't get me started. I'm going to be talking about frogs today. Don't get me started on ducks because I'm a massive duck fancier. But shell duck have got to be up there. Not quite eider level, but that's a beautiful duck. Bright red beak, lovely kind of green sheen to the wings, muddy brown chest, and then white darted for out. <laughs> Lovely. All right, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to start the car and we'll drive a little bit further down. So the track was pretty fruitful. There was a wheat ear. It's my first wheat ear in years. I haven't seen one for a very long time. And very much in my kind of vein of humour, the wheat ear is basically a white arse. That's what they used to be called. That's where the name wheat ear comes from. It's a bastardization of that name. It was very, very bold bird. It kept kind of jumping up, grabbing insects on the shingle, and then running back to a little post. Some linnets as well, which, again, I haven't seen linnets in a very long time. So pretty fruitful on the birds. 
and I'm currently just sat in my car now watching the bird feeding station in the car park at Dungeness and I'll just get my binoculars not a lot at the minute there's a wood pigeon coming which I won't begrudge a wood pigeon and there's a moorhen at the bottom you can probably hear the gulls in the background as well and there are a couple of greater black back gull which are the biggest gulls in the world they're only marginally bigger than a herring gull to be fair but they are pretty impressive creatures they can eat a puffin whole uh, and I've seen them eat rabbits as well on, on videos online. So they're pretty serious predators when they want to be. I've always been a bit of a fan of of gulls. When I lived in Cornwall, that was my alarm clock in the morning. The gulls would wake me up. And they're phenomenal birds. They really are amber-listed. Everyone sort of just thinks of them as knocking grannies over to get chips. But they are incredible predatory birds. And I do miss them living in Nottinghamshire. We do get the odd gull, but... They're not as ballsy as their seaside cousins. Now, the reason I'm sat at the car park at the feeders is because I was hoping to see a tree sparrow. But I'm not seeing any today. I did see some recently at Bempton Cliffs. Uh, and there were quite a few of them, actually. And, you know, again, I'm probably the most critical person of little brown jobbies. But I have to admit, a tree sparrow was, was beautiful. That sort of chestnut brown head. And if you want to tell the difference between a, a tree sparrow and a house sparrow, the quick way is that male tree sparrows have chestnut colour on their head, chestnut tree, and house sparrows have a slate colour on their head, slate house. And also, house sparrows are more sexually dimorphic than tree sparrows. The males and females look pretty similar. Or oh, a little wren. A little wren just flew up. Um, whereas with house sparrows the females are, are pretty different they're much more paler um, and they don't have the kind of stuff all over the head oh there's a there's a sparrow there's a sparrow now is it a house sparrow or a tree sparrow the bird feeder is blocking it oh it's a house sparrow which to be fair i mean they've still declined a lot themselves so i should at least be grateful to see that in, in my garden um i do get the occasional house sparrow but they're not common my, my garden bird, I mean, if any of you listen to the podcast I did, the big garden bird watch, I sort of went through my garden bird list, which is pretty piss poor, to be honest. But I'd, um, I'd take a few sparrows. Well, as lovely as this is, I think I've left the frogs long enough, so let's get back frogging. Well, it's been lovely coming along the track. There's been a few white throats singing, cormorants flying over, plenty of bird life but relatively quiet on the frog front. There's been a few calling. I'm going to pop back over to the ARC, the ARC site, the other side of Dungeness Reserve, because it seems to be a little bit busier there for them. Last night, I was staying at my uh, parent-in-law's house and let the dogs out in the garden, and I could hear the marsh frogs from their garden. So they were pretty active last night, which was amazing. I'd never noticed that before. I suppose generally when I go... Uh, when I come down here, it's the winter. We don't tend to come in the summer as much. But it was really nice to hear the frogs literally from their back garden. I was very envious of that. But not on the reserve so much. Oh, that's a little... What was that? I'm just parked in front of a reed bed and one of the reeds dangled at me. I think it's a some kind of warbler. Couldn't tell you. Okay, anyway, well, let's pop back over to the other side of the reserve. 
and see if we can't find some more marsh frogs there. Now, sadly, I didn't find any more marsh frogs on the other side of the reserve, so I've cut it short there. I'm really sorry if it was a little bit crackly. I did have a windshield on, but a bit of the wind got through there, so hopefully that was vaguely audible. But I'm not normally in that part of the country in May. I was down there for my wife's birthday, so if you want to see marsh frogs and hear them, May is the best time to go down there. If you can support the pod via buymeacoffee.com, it's all greatly appreciated. It's a fiver, it's the cost of a pint, and it helps keep the ball rolling. If you leave a comment, we'll also read that out in next week's podcast. If you want to watch the podcast, we upload the Zoom interviews to Wildlife Exposed TV, which is a YouTube channel, and any bonus content all goes on there as well. I also record vlogs, and I actually did one on the marsh frogs as well. So if you want to physically watch me, it's weird when I say it like that, but if you want to watch me going out and looking for marsh frogs and film them, there is a YouTube video on my channel, Jack Perks Wildlife Media, and you can see me going after marsh frogs. I'll put a link to it in the description if you'd like to watch that. Sticking with the frog theme. Theme? <laughs> Sticking with the frog theme. God, I fuck up a lot on these, don't I? You'd think I'd know what I'm doing by now. I head out with the Nottinghamshire Arg on Toad Patrol. We go out in the night, rescuing toads, talking to the volunteers about why they do it, and a little bit about toads biology. It was an amazing experience. I've never done a toad patrol before, and it's only down the road from where I live. It's going to be a good episode. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.